Um, we're going to look at John chapter 3. Uh, on Thursday, um, there was a meeting. I had to chair a meeting of a, a group that has been uh, broken apart and reformed. Uh, it's called the CNEF 33, and it's um, the local um, existence of a national body called the Conseil National des Évangéliques de France. And we have a, uh, thanks to him, I had to chair this meeting. Him, it's his fault, that one. Uh, he did it. Um, he's looking innocent, but it was his fault. Um, and um, when, when, because we broke it apart and started it again, when I welcomed people to it, I said, welcome to the Born Again Clef 33. And I don't know whether anyone got the joke or not, but um, the, um, I, I did my best, you know. Um, the, 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 for a while now, the, this idea of, of something being new and calling it Born Again kind of took root. Um, some of us will remember adverts even for, for cars that were called the Born Again, the Born Again Golf. It was the, the Volkswagen Golf that they called the Born Again Golf because they'd, they'd kind of taken it apart and put it together again. And here is where this phrase comes from. You will have noticed it in your reading that uh, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You have to be born again. Now, um, this evening then, what we're talking about is what it means to be born again, okay? We're focusing on what it means to be born again. But I'm not going to give you just definitions and stuff like that. It's not going to be a theology book kind of talk. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the context of where Jesus says this because he says it to this guy called Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is really important for us in order for us to understand what it means to be born again. Okay? And I've realized I'm speaking very fast. So I'm sorry about that. I'll try and slow down. Okay. So being born again, what does it mean? Was it just something that happened in Bible times? Is it, is it something that kind of like, you know, Jesus did this, but it's got nothing to do with us? Is it something that can happen today? And if it does happen today, what does it mean? And how do you know when it's happened? And if it's never happened to me, what, 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 what can I do? What can I do about it? Well, that's what I hope we can find out when we look at um, this uh, um, chapter and look at what happens when Nicodemus comes to speak to Jesus. Now then, there's something I want you to notice. And it's very, very simple things, okay? Um, when does Nicodemus come to talk with Jesus? When? And you're allowed to answer. At night. At night. Okay, and when does he leave? Presumably still at night. Yeah? Now, you look on into John chapter 4... And Jesus talks with someone else. He talks with a woman who's a Samaritan, okay? And when does he meet the Samaritan woman? <laughs> what particular moment of the day? Yeah, he meets her at noon. And in fact, um, for both of them, um, well, with Nicodemus, we don't really know why he came at night. Um, but for the woman, we know why she came in, in the noon, or, or we, can, we can make a good case for why she came at noon. 
She came to draw water at the hottest time of day. She was avoiding people, you know. Uh, Nicodemus, he may well have been avoiding people too. He may have been. But we've got this situation where you've got Nicodemus and you've got this Samaritan woman and they couldn't be more different. Nicodemus was a bit like um, if you met someone who was a cardinal, yeah, in the Roman Catholic Church. He was someone who had a high religious position. Look at what we're told about him. He was a Pharisee. Well, that just says what group of Judaism he belonged to. Someone asked me, what denomination is Bordeaux Church? Is it Baptist? Is it Methodist? Is it Anglican? Is it uh, Pentecostal? Is it? Uh, and I said no. Um, well, with Nicodemus, he was Pharisee. That was, in inverted commas, the denomination he belonged to. Yeah? They, they had a particular set of ideas about what it meant to be a Jew. So he was a Pharisee. Um, but look as well, he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He belonged to the Sanhedrin. So he was an important guy. Yeah? Um, one of the people who was kind of like a position in, of authority in Judaism. Uh, everyone would look up to him. He would have been one of the people who'd... He'd got his life right, you know? There are people and they just get their life right. You think, how come they managed to play the game so right? Well, Nicodemus was like that. He'd played the game right. The Samaritan woman, man, she'd played the game wrong. You know, everything in her life had gone wrong. It, it had gone wrong. Whether it was her fault or whether she was... Someone who was the victim of other people's um, behavior. We don't really know. But her life had gone dreadfully wrong. That wasn't true with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, everything had gone right. He'd achieved status, privilege, position. Uh, because, um, because of where, what he was. He was now uh, this member of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, more than that. You look at verse 10, Jesus says to him, you are Israel's teacher. Um, we don't really know why Jesus uh, addressed him like this, but the most likely thing is that it's, it's kind of like he's, he's known as being someone who's a, such an expert that they call him Israel's teacher. Yeah? If you want to know anything about religion, you go and ask Nicodemus. You really could. Ask him anything on the Old Testament, he would know it. He could probably re recite the large parts of the Old Testament by heart. And he was, he was an expert. He really knew um, what it was to be, uh, to be Jewish. And uh, he comes to see Jesus, and it's really interesting what he says to Jesus. He says, uh, Rabbi, addresses Jesus as a teacher, a Jewish teacher. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus now, he's heard about the signs Jesus is doing. Now those of you who were here last week, you know that we're going through John's Gospel and we're doing helico a helicopter ride through John's Gospel. We're landing on seven signs. There are seven signs in John's Gospel. Last week we saw the first one where Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding. Okay? Um, but that's only the first one, and we don't get another sign for a while now. So Nicodemus says, we know about the signs. No one could perform the signs you were doing if God, God were not with him. 
What did Nicodemus know about? Had somebody told him about the wedding? Did Nicodemus know? He surely knew that Jesus had cleared the temple. The end of chapter 2, Jesus goes and drives um, the merchants out of the temple. He, he doesn't want the temple turned into, into a row of shops, effectively. Um, and so Nicodemus is, is probably referring to that. He may be referring to what happened at the wedding. But maybe John isn't writing things in the chronological order. Maybe John is being thematic. And Nicodemus knew about some other signs. But whatever the situation, Nicodemus says, look, we know. We know stuff about you. We've seen stuff in you. And so we can see that you're a teacher come from God. We can see this. Now you pay close attention to what Nicodemus says. Because what Jesus replies to him is shocking to Nicodemus. He says to him, Nicodemus, you don't see nothing. You don't see diddly squat. Yeah? You don't see nothing. Look at it, verse 3. Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. You don't see anything, Nicodemus. Now at that point, we need to pause, okay? Because the first reaction we've got is probably similar to that which Nicodemus would have had, which is, hang on, is what he's telling me true? And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, something like that. It's, it's a formula. Um, what Jesus would have said is something like, amen, amen. And it means something like in, when in, in colloquial British English we'd say, believe me. Believe me, uh, what we're telling people is that what we're about to say, we really, we really are telling them the truth. Believe me, I didn't see him. Yeah? Uh, and there are these kinds of formulas. Well, that was the kind of formula. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus, you have not seen a thing. You ain't seen nothing. And unless you're born again, you cannot see. Now, that, that we need to pause, yeah? In order to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. Now, let's pause and think about that. Nicodemus is an expert. He knows his Old Testament. Supposed to. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. You know, he's in a position of authority. You don't get there by accident. He's a guy who knows his stuff. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you aren't even on first base. You don't even see the kingdom of God. There's no way you, you've entered the kingdom of God. You don't belong to God, Nicodemus. And you don't belong to God because you have not even been born. You're like someone who's not even been born. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Okay? Do you see the force of what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus? Nicodemus, you're like a, you're not even at the stage of a newborn babe. A newborn babe at least is alive, and you, Nicodemus, are not even alive. Stop and think about that for a minute. To be a Christian is not just being brought up in a tradition. That doesn't give you life. A newborn baby is more alive 
than someone who's brought up in a tradition. Being brought up in a tradition can't do it. Being a Christian is not just someone who accepts certain ideas, who knows certain facts, who can pass certain exams. Knowing facts, accepting ideas, passing exams can't do it. There's something radically different from that that has to happen for you to be a Christian. Okay? And that is so important that I really want to hammer it home. You know? Um, you, you may have gone to Sunday school. Sunday school can't make you a Christian. You may have done scripture exams. Scripture exams can't make you a Christian. You may have sung in a church choir. Singing in a church choir doesn't make you a Christian. You may have studied in seminary. Studying in seminary doesn't make you a Christian. You may have done degrees in theology. Doing degrees in theology does not make you a Christian. You may be an expert about the Bible and the world of the Bible. You may be able to describe um, Second Temple Judaism in all its glory and its, its wonder and its complexity. But that does not make you a Christian. There's only one thing that can make you a Christian, and that is to be born again. You have to be born again. That's what Jesus says. He says you must be born again. You must be born again. Um, I'll pause here because it'll give you a chance for, for some of that to kind of um, stew a little bit. Um, there was a guy called George Whitfield, very famous preacher, preached in Britain, preached in America, and uh, during the time of uh, the great evangelical awakening, they called it. And um, he used to, I don't know how these people did it, because um, in, in many churches now this size, normally people who speak in this church, they speak with amplification. Uh, people say, do you need to use the microphone? I kind of think, I, you, you can hear me. You know, the room is not that big. You know? Um, and nowadays, for some reason, we seem to need amplification. George Whitfield could address crowds of thousands without amplification. How they did it, I don't know. They must have had a particular vocal technique, I don't know. But one of the things that guys used to do in those days is they would preach every day. How do you preach every day? Some of us, you know, kind of preaching once a week is, I don't know how I can preach next week. You know, I've already preached three times this month. Uh, some of us preaching once a week is a lot. These guys preached every day. How did they do it? They preached the same sermon over and over and over again. Uh, yeah, well, you know. Um, and George Whitfield, someone remarked, observed, that he very often preached a sermon entitled, You Must Be Born Again. And they said, Mr. Whitfield, you are always preaching that people must be born again. Why do you so often preach that must, people must be born again? And George Whitfield said, because you must. Because you must. And he was going to say it over and over again until people were born again. That, that, was, that was how his mind functioned. And there's a lot of um, good things in that, isn't there? So, you must be born again. It's not just learning stuff. It's not just being raised in a tradition. It's not adopting habits. It's not wearing particular clothes. It's not avoiding certain things and adopting other things. It's, it's none of those things. It's something else. It's being born again. Now then, um, we don't have any... Um, 
any um, uh, expectant mothers here this evening. Um, but expectant mothers are a wonderful illustration of this because an expectant mother normally is going to have a baby. You know, this, this, this is how it happens. The, the mother has a baby that grows inside her and at some moment in time the baby has to come out, you know. Uh, when is the baby going to come out? They give you a due date. Does the baby come on the due date? Very seldom. Why? Because babies come when they're ready. You know, they don't come when the doctor says, oh, you know, it's going to be the 28th of March. Well, you might mark that in your diary, but, you know, don't, don't kind of make an appointment at the hospital for the 28th of March, because it's not like that. The baby comes when the baby's good and ready. And there is something, you know, Jesus uses this picture of the new birth for that kind of reason. It's something that's uncontrollable. It's something that's... Um, that just happens, you know? It just happens. Um, and if you look at the other expressions that Jesus uh, uses here, uh, you'll see why this is. Look, you must be born again, and I'm pretty sure you'll find it in the margin of verse 3. There's a marginal note. Look at it. Verse 3, the Greek for again also means from above. Okay? From above. You must be born again. You must be born from above. This is not something that comes from down here. This is something that comes from above. Okay? So it's something God does. The other expression, and you see it at the end of verse 8. Look at it. Well, and verse 5. Uh, Very truly I tell you, verse 5, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Okay, so now we have born again, born from above, born of the Spirit. And we're starting to put together a picture, okay? Born again, it's something that's completely fresh and new. As new as a newborn baby. There's new life. Born from above, this new life comes just like the life of a newborn baby. The life of a newborn baby, I mean, what defines... Even defining life is really difficult. Here is this newborn baby, and all of a sudden the baby is breathing, and the baby is alive. The baby is alive, independent of its mother. I'm not implying it wasn't alive before, not at all. But I'm just saying that now there's, you can see this life. The baby moves, the baby cries, the baby eats, the baby sleeps. Um, and the baby lives, you know, there's this new life. Um, and the life comes from God. God gives life. Yeah? Life from above. But then born of the Spirit. What is Jesus saying? Well, he's saying that God's Spirit, God sends his Holy Spirit into you. Into you. As an individual. That God's Spirit comes into you and gives you new life. It's the most astonishing thing that God would operate like this. Uh, And so God comes... um, From above, God comes and gives new life, and he does it by his Holy Spirit. Uh, Born, says Jesus, of water and the Spirit. And it's a new, a whole new life. um, People are always tempted to say a whole new start. Well, yeah, but I mean, you can have lots of new starts, can't you? Uh, um, If I only told you how many new starts I've had, this, that, and the other. 
Um, and uh, we're always doing a new start, aren't we? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll have a new start and that will help. And it does help for a while, but this is not that. This is not that. It's not starting all over again from zero. It's not a, a fresh start. It's new life. It's bigger than that. It's deeper than that. It's stronger than that. It's newer than that. It's new life. It's mysterious. It's miraculous. You can't see it happen. But when it happens, boy, you can tell it has. Yeah? When it happens, you can tell it has. Okay? Now then, this is uh, the moment where we get a bit technical and theological. So I'm awfully sorry about this. I'll try and not be too technical. But... You look at what uh, Nicodemus says. Look at what he replies. Jesus says, very truly, verse 3, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nicodemus thankfully takes the bait. Imagine if Nicodemus had carried on with, well, yeah, yeah, but we know you're a teacher from, come from God. And Nicodemus didn't do that, thankfully. Uh, he said, how can someone be born when they're old? I don't get it, he says. You know I'm not a young man. And even for a young man, you know, what are you talking about? How can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born, whether he was being facetious or just being, you know, I just don't get it. Nobody knows. But Jesus says, Look, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Do you see it, verse 7? You shouldn't be surprised. Nicodemus you should know this. And then later on, Nicodemus replies, how can this be? Verse 10, you're Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, this isn't something new that nobody's ever talked about before. The Old Testament talks about being born again. And Nicodemus should have understood. Um... Have, have a, we're going to look at a, a couple of verses in Ezekiel, and for that I will give you the page number uh, once I found them. Um, but, you know, sometimes we get the idea that in the Old Testament, that uh, the idea of being saved was radically different from the New. Yeah? In the Old Testament, what you had to do was keep the rules. When you kept the rules, you said, sorry to God, took a pigeon or a goat... Uh, God said, well, that's okay then, and you go back to keeping the rules. Yeah? Sometimes we have this kind of idea. I've even heard people preach that. I was horrified, but I've heard it. Um, that's not the picture at all. God made a promise. He made a promise to Adam and Eve that he would send a saviour, that he would send someone who would, who would crush the serpent's head. And they believed the promise. You were always saved by believing the promise. You know? And um, God never intended people to live by rules and traditions. That was never the idea. Um, we're in um, Ezekiel chapter 36. And we're going to look at verse 24 down to verse 27. Okay? So we're on page 868. Don't ask me what happened in the year 868. I have no idea. Um, 868. Ezekiel 36, verse 24, down to verse 27. And look at what God says. He says, and he's talking to, to his people before they go into exile, okay? And he says, 
I will take you out of the nations. I'll gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you. Look, it's, it, they've given it a capital S. Yeah, this word. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Nicodemus should have known that God can make people new because he always sold, he always sold them. He always promised that. And so here is Nicodemus then and Jesus saying, how can you teach people, Nicodemus, if you don't believe in God's promise to make people new? How are you, how are you ever going to enter the kingdom of God if you don't come by God making you new? A new heart, a new spirit, God's spirit working in you. I'll cleanse you with water. You'll be born, as Jesus says, of water and the spirit. Born of water and the spirit. Does Nicodemus get it? I really don't think he does. He doesn't understand at all. Um, but we can see that Jesus really does tell us the truth. You know, here is Nicodemus, possibly the best religious teacher of his day, and he's baffled. He doesn't get it at all. But here is Jesus, and he hasn't come from the Sanhedrin. He's come from heaven itself, and. He's not just giving tradition, he's teaching from God and he's telling us the truth. And so he gives this gentle rebuke to uh, Nicodemus, doesn't he? Nicodemus says, well, we see this and we see that and we see this and we conclude this. And Jesus says, you don't see anything at all. You can't see unless you're born again. And to underline the point, Nicodemus comes in the dark and he leaves in the dark. Why? Because the poor guy is in the dark. Okay. He's in the dark. He doesn't see anything at all. Um, I just want to pause here. Because Nicodemus, we, we, we need to ask the question really why Nicodemus is coming in the dark. Um, look at what Jesus says. Why, why do people hide in the dark according to the Lord Jesus Christ? Look at verse 19 to 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light, for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now listen to this a minute. I want to suggest something to you about rules, traditions and regulations. It's really easy to hide behind rules, traditions and regulations. What I mean is this. You know, um, someone says, you should wear black. Well, we can wear black. Loads of people all over the world wear black. It's okay to wear black, yeah. But wearing black doesn't do anything about the thoughts of my heart, does it? People might say, 
you shouldn't eat meat on a Friday, you should eat fish. Well, okay, I can eat fish on a Friday, you know. Uh, it's not a big deal to eat fish on a Friday. Um, we can all do that. We get tinned fish and we eat fish on a Friday. We go down to the fishmonger and queue up with lots and lots of people and eat fish on a Friday. Go to the student canteen, there's going to be fish on a Friday, you know. We can all do that. But that doesn't do anything about the thoughts of my heart, does it? Nothing at all. We can have rules and regulations, traditions and ways in place and hide behind them because the thoughts of my heart, while I keep them in the dark, nobody knows, nobody sees, and I think even God doesn't see. Even God doesn't see what's going on in my heart because I'm wearing black, I'm eating fish on Friday, and I'm keeping all the rules and traditions. Yeah? And Nicodemus is a bit like that. He's, he's, he's well into his tradition. He's an expert. He knows all about it. And Jesus says, you don't see anything, do you? And the reason you're hiding in the dark is because you're scared to come into the light. But you come into the light, it exposes your heart, you know? Uh, you see yourself for the first time as you really are. You see what's going on inside, not just the outside that people see, but what's going on inside and what God sees all the time. And then you come to God and you say, look, this is what I am. And the only way to sort someone like me out is, frankly, I need a new birth. I need a new, whole new me. This is radical. You know, the, the, you can't just give me some rules to follow. Uh, this isn't something mindfulness will sort out. You know, that um, contemplating something for, a, for half an hour each morning, that is not going to fix it. I need a whole new me. You need to come and work in my heart. And I think Jesus is inviting Nicodemus to take a good, long, hard look at who God is and at who he is. Yeah? Okay. Where do we go with this? I need to ask you something very simple, but at the same time, that will seem very complicated. And it's very simply this. Are you born again? Are you born again? Do you know what it's like to be born again? Do you know what it's like for God to come and do something in your life, in your heart, and give you a whole new life? How do you know if you're born again? Well, sometimes people, they say, well, have you ever been born again? Uh, has that happened to you? And they say, oh, yeah. They say, I was in a big meeting once. And the guy was speaking, and as he was speaking, I started to cry uncontrollably. I just couldn't stop crying, and I just knew, I just knew uh, I had to respond. And sometimes people talk like that. And I'm not going to criticize big meetings and emotional responses at all. But it isn't always like that. Other people, they say, well, you know, I felt, um, I, I, I felt that I could not go on. And then at a certain moment, I thought, well, God has to do something to help me. And I felt this overwhelming joy. And I knew I was born again. Well, I'm not going to criticize that. Lots of people have an experience like that. Other people, they say, you know, I realized my guilt before God. And I went to God and told him all about it. And I knew I'd been forgiven. And I'm not going to criticize that. Lots of people go through an experience like that. But I think what we're trying to describe there is what we feel, and that is not 
how Jesus addresses the new birth. That is not how Jesus goes at it. He doesn't say, Nicodemus, have you ever felt an overwhelming joy? He doesn't say, Nicodemus, have you ever felt a, a terrible grief over your guilt? Nicodemus, have you ever felt that you couldn't go on? He doesn't do that, does he? What does he do? Well, he tells him a story. Look at this. Verse 14 and 15. This is a funny old thing. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And we'll carry on. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What is this about? Well, uh, Jesus is taking us back to this whole issue of trusting God's promise. And we're going to go back to Numbers this time. This is the last time we go flicking through the Old Testament. The book of Numbers and chapter 21. And it's a little story and a strange little story that you find tucked away in the book of Numbers. Page 158. Yeah? 158. People of Israel have uh, escaped from the slavery in Egypt and they're on the way to the promised land. And something very odd happens. Numbers 21. They travelled from Mount Hor, verse 4, Mount Hor, along the route to the Red Sea, to go round Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And you would think, well, that's going to be the end of the story, isn't it? You know, Moses prayed for the people. God takes away the snakes. Everything's okay again. But that isn't what happens at all. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. You think, hang on a minute, this is all a bit weird. How is that going to work? You know, if you're bitten by a snake, looking at a snake is not going to help. Is this some kind of strange um, sympathetic medicine, you know, is this homeopathy in, in, in the Bronze Age? That isn't meant as a, any kind of pun. But is this kind of like mosaic homeopathy? Is this what's happening? Uh, you know, you eat the plants of a lung-shaped, the leaves of a lung-shaped plant because it's good for your lungs. Is that what's going on? Not at all. What is happening? Well, it's obvious to everyone looking at a snake is not going to heal you of a snake bite. But God has promised. God has promised. And you trust God's promise and God keeps his word. Yeah? You trust God's promise and God keeps his word. How do you know if you're born again? Here are these people. They're in desperate need. But God has promised. And they trust God's promise and God keeps his word. Here is uh, God through Jesus. He promises eternal life. How is that going to work? Well, what Jesus says is, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. How is that going to work? 
Jesus says the Son of Man must be lifted up. He has to be crucified so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Those, you think, well, that's not going to work. How is it going to work for Jesus to be crucified 2,000 years ago and for me to get new life? How does, how does him being crucified 2,000 years ago give me new life? Why? Because of God's promise. How? Because of God's promise. You believe God's promise and God has given you eternal life. The choice of the tense is important. You believe God's promise, God has given you new life. Yeah? Because you can't see it unless you're born again. But the moment you see it, and the moment you think, okay, I get it, I get it. I'm, I need a new start. It's not just a question of, you know, you really shouldn't eat cakes, you know. It's not just a question of things like that. I need a new start. I'm, I'm all wrong. And I need a new start. I need a new life more than a new start. There must be a new me. A new me. I need new life. And you look to the Lord Jesus Christ. You trust in him. It shows that God has given you new life. And you see it. You see it. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. This is your situation, isn't it? You, my friend, today... You're in desperate need. And there's nothing I can do about it. Your situation is far worse than you ever thought. And there's nothing I or you or anyone else can do about it. Um, you, before God, you're like someone who's dead. You haven't even started. You haven't even begun to see. Yeah? A newborn baby has more life in it than you do. Your situation is desperate. And the only thing you can do, the only thing you can do is to trust in Jesus Christ. And the moment you say, okay, I get it, I, I get it, I, I'm trusting in Jesus, you're trusting in Jesus because God has given you new life. Because you can't even see it until God gives you new life, new, uh, that, this new birth that you're born again. Um, we're going to pray, and we're going to pray that God will, will work this miracle in each one of us, because... Um, we must be born again there's no alternative uh, there's no option let's pray together Heavenly Father we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world uh, to give this new life uh, to people just like us to us and to people like us he came so that we might be born again and we do thank you for this and we pray that we may look to him and trust in him and find in him this new life that we so desperately need. Send your Holy Spirit, we pray. Give life from above. Give this new birth. Uh, please bring us from death to life, we pray, because we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to sing a, a song that comes from um, the time of, of um, when...